Father, many of us right now are, are tired. Many of us are feeling the weight um, of just exhaustion with COVID, with um, the numbers rising, there's fear, there's anxiety. Um, with the election, to, uh, on t- uh, many of us feel concern about um, not just the result, but how the result will be received uh, around our country. And we pray, Father, we pray to you. We, we're grateful that we can come to you, um, that, that, that you are on your throne in the midst of this, that while we might be anxious, you are not. While we might wring our hands and be afraid, you are not. You are in charge. You are sovereign. You are king. And you invite us to come to you, not, not simply uh, to, to, you know, give, get, get some peace, but to, to really to walk with you through all of these things, to be able to live a life um, resting in you, our king, more than circumstances. And so, God, we need you right now. We need your spirit. We need your your power. We need your presence with us, God. We need you to um, display again uh, your mercy and your, your, um, your loving kindness to us, Father. We're grateful that we can come today in Christ uh, because all of us this week have, have sinned and fallen short, and yet um, knowing that, that Christ has once and for all redeemed us, has given life uh, to those who believe, and we believe today, Jesus, we, we Our faith isn't perfect. Our faith may not even be strong, but the object of our faith is perfect, and we're grateful for you today. Um, So God, now as we um, turn our minds and our hearts to your word, as we look at Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, would you uh, encourage us? Would you challenge us? Would you you let it uh, speak to our minds and our hearts, Father? Even though we're not together uh, physically right now, would you unite us around your word uh, for your glory, for our joy, we pray. Amen. All right, grab your, grab your Bible, and I do mean grab your Bible. I'm not looking at you. Uh, I can't see you right now. It's, you might be in your pajamas. You might be, you know, drinking a cup of coffee, but, but put it down. Go find your Bible or your, your phone, probably more distracting than your physical Bible. Never had an app pop up or a notification pop up on this. Um, but go find your Bible, look up Matthew 6. And the reason we're there is because, once again, just to be reminded, Jesus said earlier in Matthew that a man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we are listening for the mouth of God tonight, to, today to speak to us. So I encourage you, go get your Bible, follow along, look at it, listen to it, uh, read along with me as we look at Matthew uh, 6. We are continuing in our series through the um, Sermon on the Mount, and so far we have uh, gone through chapter 5. Today we are in chapter 6, turning the corner, and upward up to this point, Jesus has been talking about immoral behavior. He talked about lust, you know, and, and, uh, and, and adultery, and he's talked about murder and hate in your heart and anger, lashing out, all of that. And, and what he's doing is he's addressing sinful behavior out here, being rooted in what we do in here. But in chapter six, he turns the corner a bit, and now he starts addressing uh, moral behavior, righteous behavior, good things that you and I would say, oh, that's great, that's good, and and they are good. But the problem that, that he addresses is that they can be done from a wrong place. So we, we can do the right thing for the wrong reasons and for the wrong purpose. And that's what Jesus is getting at in the text today as he's talking about generosity. He's talking about money. Yes, money. Um, and I know 
you know, sometimes money gets a, a bad rap, but I want to look you, uh, as you know, church is talking about money, but I'm going to look you dead in the screen and I'm going to say, we don't want your money. I don't want your money. I don't want, I don't want to guilt you. I don't want you to, to go give somewhere today or give to the church because you feel ashamed uh, or even to give yourself a little bit of peace or simply because you think it could be the right thing. Uh, I, I want you to understand what Jesus is saying about generosity here, and that is this. Jesus isn't after generosity from you. He is after generosity for you. So Jesus is not after generosity from you. He is after generosity for you. Do you see the difference? He's not trying to get you to give. God's not up in heaven going, man, I'm just, you know, we're, we're running short right now. It's a bit of a deficit. You know, a lot of our, our folks have lost their jobs and heaven's, all, you know, getting ready to have to cut back. It, it doesn't. God owns, uh, it says in Psalms that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? So he, he is not in desperate need for money, but he wants you to experience generosity like him, to have a heart for generosity to uh, be, he has a desire for you to be generous. And that's very different. Um, not out of guilt, not out of shame, but out of joy. So let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 1 through 4. And we're also connecting it with verses 19 through 24. So encourage you to follow along there as he talks about our earthly treasure. So pick up in Matthew 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now, verse taking uh, down to verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the big idea for today is simply this. Generous pe- uh, gospel people are generous people. Gospel people are generous people. Gospel people are generous because uh, we give because we've been given. We bless because we have been blessed. Uh, we are generous because we have a God who's been generous to us. And so that it's out of the overflow of what God has done in us that, that we give to others and serve others. And Jesus builds this idea out in this passage. And the first idea he wants us to see in verses one through four is that generosity is measured by the motive. Generosity is measured by the motive. Jesus wants us to understand giving away money or other resources is not what makes a person generous. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, that might seem like a contradiction. He's saying, like, don't give money to others 
in a way that other people can see. Don't be generous. Don't actually what he's saying is don't don't do righteous things. Don't do good things. So this isn't just giving, but he's saying don't practice righteousness in a way that other people can see you. Uh, but that seems to contradict Matthew five. Verse 16, which we looked at about a month ago, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So is Jesus like contradicting himself here? Or perhaps he's helping us to understand something deeper. That is that our motive matters. That our motive matters. Christians should be just as comfortable in with their motive when they're by themselves and no one sees what they're doing that's righteous and with their motive when they're in front of people that that motive does not shift or change. Beware is a present imperative word. He's <clears throat> commanding us to, per, to have constant vigilance about what uh, it looks like for us to practice righteousness in front of other people. And that leads us to ask the question, why am I doing these things? Is my motiv- motivation for good works or is it to glorify and honor God? Is this pray- about praise for myself or is it about praise going to God? Verse two says that when you give to the needy, uh, sound no trumpet before you. Notice he says when, that's important, right? When, meaning there's an expectation that Jesus's people, the citizens of Jesus's kingdom are generous, that they're giving to needs, that they, they are active in that, right? But then he says, sound no trumpet before you. Now, maybe that's been an issue for you. Maybe you've thought, you know, I should have some trumpets. I'm getting ready to give some stuff away. Um, but I suspect you're probably like, hmm, good. I got that one down. Never once been tempted to have trumpets blown while I was giving things away. But you have to understand what, what Jesus is referring to. This is a specific practice during Jesus's time where what would happen is the wealthy uh, would, would show up in a certain area of town and uh, trumpets would be blown so that the poor um, so the destitute could come out or be aware that someone with money was there and now they could give, they could receive those gifts. Uh, and what would happen in those moments is that that, that, that generous person, in quotes, uh, is, is really not about being generous to those people. He's about receiving accolades or support. You see, generosity is not generosity when it's about getting something back. Generosity is giving, but giving something so you get something back is called buying, right? And what these religious leaders and these leaders were wealthy leaders were doing is they were buying approval. They were buying support. They were buying uh, peace. And maybe you give for those reasons. You give because it looks good for you. Maybe you give to, to give yourself a little bit of peace. Maybe you give for a warm, fuzzy feeling. Maybe you give to give your, your, your guilt a little bit of a respite right? Maybe you give for those reasons. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. What you're doing in those moments is not giving, but buying. You're buying something for yourself. We see this um, in our time too. One pastor wrote back in 2012, he said, generosity is in. It's the hip thing these days to give away money, Gates, for example, and to adopt kids, Brad and Angelina, Microfinance in Africa, Clinton. Drink fair trade coffee, Tully's. And go green, Leonardo, Leonardo, Leo DiCaprio. Not that we can judge any of these people's motives, but uh, does anyone even consider whether motives uh, even matter or not? One thing is for sure, narcissism, that is obsessive love of self, dressed up as generosity is still narcissism. 
And I think we see this in our, in our culture today. Uh, Jim Gilmore, who's the author of The Experience Economy, actually coined a term, uh, narcithropy, combining narcissism and philanthropy. Because what, what we see is people who are being generous in a way that they get something in return. It's, it's good for their brand. It's good for their publicity. It's good for their name. They, they feel good. It makes them feel good to do it. So therefore, they're doing it for that purpose. Uh, they might say, oh, I'm fundamentally motivated by that need. But the truth is, the appearance is very obvious that they personally are benefiting from being generous. So here's the motive question for you to consider. And, and this is a deep question, but here's the question. What do I want when, I want, when, I'm, when I'm trying to be generous? What do I want when I am giving, things, giving something away? What do I want when I'm being generous? So that's the, the question evaluating what's behind the action. When you're being generous, what is the motive? What is it that you're wanting in that moment? Jesus said you should give in such a way that your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. I don't know if anybody on earth has ever been successful at that, right? What a weird saying. Do something that your right hand and your left hand don't know, you know, the difference. Like, that, that, it, it sounds crazy, but what he's using is, is an analogy. He's using a, an idea to, to say you should give in such a way that it's so natural for you that maybe you're not even always aware of it. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus is saying, be generous out of who you are and not, not in this hyper-intentional, I'm thinking about this right now, I'm giving this to you here, receive this from me. But actually giving in such a natural way becomes second nature. One of the ways you could imagine that is that if somebody reminded you of something you did for them or gave them a while back and you go, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. I'd, I'd forgotten about that. Or when you're when you do it, um, it's it's not about um, it's not about how how it makes you feel. It's about the sheer joy of of blessing someone else for the glory of God. Realizing God has given you the ability to bless someone else. So God wants uh, generosity to be a habit of grace um, for us. Now it might have to just like any other habit in life, it may have to start intentionally. But the goal would be, uh, God, help make me so generous as a person, so naturally generous, that I don't even think about it a lot. Uh, that's true generosity in Jesus' economy. Secondly, we see down in verse 19 and 20 through 21 that generosity indicates what we treasure. So he shifts in the first few verses talking about motive to now generosity indicate, indicating what we treasure. Jesus knows how we spend our money reveals where we find our treasure. Treasure is that which you value most in this world, um, that which you think about most, that which you spend your money most easily on. And Jesus says there's two different kinds of treasure. Verse 19, do not lay up for your tre yourselves treasures on earth, that's one kind, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there's a, a negative command and a positive command. Do not do this and do this. Do not do this. And he's not trying to say, don't do this because I don't want you to have any fun. He's not saying, I, I don't want you to do this because somehow, you know, being, being a Christian is about just being miserable. 
and, and I want you to be really sad a lot. No, he's, he's talking about treasure here. And he says there's two different kinds of treasure. And what God, what Jesus wants for us is to treasure that which is truly treasure, to treasure that which lasts, that which is truly meaningful. And if you think sort of, this is a, a, a weak analogy, but it's, it's one that I thought about. If you were, a, you know, a kid and you ever went to the arcade and you played, you know, and you got the tickets and you, you went and you, you got a toy. Say you got a little toy, you know, plastic car or something as a kid. And, and man, that day, that day, that toy was amazing. Like that, you were so proud. That was your toy. And man, you went home and you played with it and played with it and, you know, and, and whatever. And about two days later, the wheels fall off. And three days later, your mom throws it away because it's garbage, right? Or compare that to a brand new Tesla sedan. And what Jesus is saying is the Tesla sedan is infinitely greater, it's of infinite more value, and it will last infinitely longer. I know it won't last forever, but stick with me on the analogy. That it is that significantly different. And Jesus is saying, stop treasuring these temporary earthly things that will pass away right? Don't, don't place your greatest treasure on those things. Realize their place in life. Realize what they are. This is not a call to own nothing, but it is a call to recognize that what you own in this world that is earthly is not your treasure, right? Your ultimate treasure is in heaven with God, and it's invaluable. You see, Jesus knows we're tempted to go after the temporary plastic toy because it makes us happy in the moment rather than thinking about about whether we're treasuring something wrongly, treasuring something that's going to break, treasuring something that's temporary. You see, those who treasure earthly things will spend their time, their money, their energy, and their thoughts on those earthly things. Those who treasure heavenly things will use their time, their money, their energy, and their thoughts towards heavenly things and eternal things. And those things will not fade. So honesty time, where is your treasure? Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? And connecting it with generosity, does your generosity reflect where your treasure is? Most Americans give less than 2% of their income away, according to some research, recent research. For Christians, it's around 2.5%. So Christians are more generous, but does that scream, my treasure's in heaven? Does that scream, does that scream I'm treasuring uh, eternal things? Does it scream I am using my earthly wealth towards eternal things? I'm valuing eternal things with my earthly wealth. And the answer is no. And the point is, Jesus is not saying you have a generosity problem. He's saying you have a treasure problem. You see, real generosity flows from treasuring the right thing. Real generosity is never about uh, this hyper, well, I'm going to give this to you now, or I'm going to write this big check, and man, that big check, look at that big check. That big check's going to you, you know, and that's going to, that's, that's good. It, it is about uh, using whatever we have, whether it is small or great. It is about using whatever we have to, for the good of others. And by doing so, we display our treasures in heaven. Listen, you don't have to be wealthy to be generous. Some of the 
some of the most generous people that I've ever been around were not the wealthiest people I've been around. They were people who worked normal jobs, who just found a way to, to, to give out, give away more. They just found a way to be generous with, not just with money, but with their resources, with their time, with their energy, with their home. Whatever they had was available uh, to others. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And what's awesome is the early church lived this out. The early church believed this. Rodney Stark, uh, the sociologist, wrote a book um, in the late 90s called The Rise of Christianity. He studied what caused Christianity from a sociological perspective, what caused Christianity to grow in such an oppressive environment like the Roman Empire. And one of the markers, one of the key uh, key indicators that, that caused for them to, to the church to grow or, or, or is, a, is an evidence of the church's uh, impact was generosity, radical, unbounded generosity. It was so uh, radical, in fact, that the Romans took notice of it. Emperor Julian, uh, the Roman emperor around 360, he, he said this, the impious Christians support not only their own poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. So what is he saying? He's saying that, that our people are not getting enough aid and, and, and they know it. But who stepped in? But the Christians. The Christians stepped in. The Christians gave. The Christians served. The Christians helped. There was unbounded generosity. And this has been the reason for 2,000 years, one of, the, one of the ways the church has made an eternal impact is through generosity. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So, so Christians have been motivated by the fact that Christ made himself poor for us, that we might be made rich in him. So then we go out and we seek to be generous and, and support and care for others and live in a way um, that we can be generous. And that means creating margin in your life, right? If your treasure's in heaven, then you won't seek to live at 100% of your income. Now, maybe you don't make a lot and you have to live at 100%, but maybe you can live at 99, right? Uh, and, and so the, what happens is often in the American lifestyle is that with increased income comes increased lifestyle um, at the same rate. And what, what Christians should be doing is, is not saying, how can I you know, live in the uh, absolute most austere way possible? Uh, maybe some Christians feel called that way. I don't think that Jesus is necessarily saying that. But what he is saying is how he's asking us, how can I create margin in my life so that my treasure's not in this world and I can be generous when there's opportunity? You look in the early church, there's all kinds of people that were have been part of the church through 2,000 years. There have been wealthy people that have been part of the church. And the awesome thing about that is just like everyone else, they use what God has given them for the good of others. So you see wealthy who were generous uh, in the book of Acts who sold their land, said, oh my gosh, there's a need here. I'm gonna sell this land I have and I'm gonna give that uh, to help others. 
Others, uh, you know, had churches meet in their home and no doubt underwrote uh, Paul's ministry and uh, other early uh, Christian leaders, their ministries. And today there are wealthy Christians who are very generous, who don't see their income as, as uh, sinful, but as an opportunity. Uh, and, and that's the key is, is their heart about generosity, about giving to others and supporting others like Jesus? And the third idea, so generosity indicates what we treasure. And the third idea Jesus gives us here is that gener- generosity exposes who we serve. And this is where we're going to come in for a landing in verses 22 uh, look at, and through 24. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in your you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I remember reading that many years ago when I was reading through the Gospel of Matthew and just like really getting into Scripture, and I thought, man, Jesus just jumped off right here, started talking about eyeballs and dark rooms, and like, <laughs> is this, you know, the eyes are the window to the soul? You know, I, I did not know what in the world Jesus meant here. Uh, but to understand, you have to understand the metaphor. He's building a metaphor out for us about related to wealth. It doesn't seem like it is, but it is. And what he, and and so just imagine with me, if you will, you're uh, at night, um, you know, you're in your room and you have to get up. So you, you turn the light on. When you turn your light, light on, if your eye is working, you see. You can see the room as it is. You can step where you need to step, avoid what you need to avoid. And your body benefits, your whole body benefits from light, right? From being able to see. But if you flip on a light and your eyes are not working, though you, there is light around you, your entire body is consumed with that darkness, isn't it? Your entire body is is under the 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 weight of the darkness of the eyes because it can't it can't uh, function without the eyes. And what Jesus is saying is, when your eyes are dark with greed, with selfishness, with money being your treasure, your entire body is in darkness. Your entire life is in darkness because you can't function in the light when you're looking at everything through the treasure or through earthly treasure. When you see money, when how you see money is distorted, it messes up every other part of life. You can see this in how we view our money in our modern culture. Only five, this is crazy, only 5% of Americans consider themselves rich. Only 5%, listen, only 13% of millionaires consider themselves rich. That means 95% of Americans and 87% of millionaires don't consider themselves rich. When in fact, if you look at the world today across the globe and you looked at at human history, we are certainly, nearly everyone in America, not quite everyone, but certainly a huge chunk of America, is 95% of the wealthiest uh, top 5% of the wealthiest people that have ever existed, right? So wealth is relative, yes. There are things that are more expensive here and, and, and life in general had, uh, is more expensive here in ways. But, but the point is that we, we measure ourselves by people we consider rich rather than really seeing uh, where we uh, fall in this world. Wealth, Jesus is saying wealth has the ability to blind us. Jesus knows this. Do you know about one-tenth of the verses in the New Testament deal with wealth? 16 of the 38 parables Jesus taught on dealt with wealth. 
and 25% of Jesus' teaching addresses money. Why? Why did he take so much time? Why does the Bible spend 2,000 verses talking about money? Because money has a dangerous uh, impact on us. Jesus says, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There is a real and powerful danger that Jesus is warning us about here, about the danger of money, about making money our master. And the reason is this, it's been observed, and I agree with it, that the greatest substitute, greatest possible substitute on planet earth for God is money. It is. Because money uh, can buy you lots of things. It can buy you security, right? You can, you can have enough money in the bank that you feel, you feel confident for whatever comes your way, whatever uh, calamity might happen to you. You have that security, that nest egg to, to rest on. Money can, uh, can buy you comfort. You can remove some of the worries that other people have to worry about. You can add comforts to your life that make life easier for you. Money can buy you pleasure. If you like to have experiences, money can buy you almost an endless amount. Not quite endless, but certainly a ton of experiences. You have enough money and you want to go scuba diving in the Grand Cayman next week, you can make that happen if you have money, right? COVID aside. Um, if, if you want a new car tomorrow and you have enough money, you can go buy that new car and that new car will make you happy. Money, money can buy a temporary happiness, right? I, I, I don't understand people who say money can't buy any happiness. It can, it can buy temporary, immediate happiness. Does not last, never lasts at all. However fancy or beautiful that new car is, it will one day not be a new car to you and it will lose that charm. So money can, in many ways, provide the things for us, security, comfort, pleasure, uh, 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 joy, those things, happiness, right? Like, like right now, I just, I just want happiness. And God is saying, I, I provide all of those things. You can make money your God and live by that, or you can have eternal treasure that doesn't fade, that isn't destroyed, but you can't have both. You can't live right now with money as your treasure and say that God is your master. Jesus is your master. You can't. Tim Keller says money flows effortlessly to that which is its God. Listen to that again. Money flows effortlessly to that which is its God. Where do you find your money flowing? Where does it go? Whatever it is, may very well be your functional God, maybe pointing to what your master is. Um, I want to share a little bit about generosity from my perspective. Um, but one of the things that God laid on my heart, and, 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 I, and we seek to be generous, uh, I do. I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't say we're perfect at it and got it down and definitely the heart of Jesus and everything. Um, but, but seeking, growing in that. Um, but, but God laid on my heart to share about experiencing generosity. That, that this is an important part of understanding generosity. It's about blessing and glorifying God, blessing others and glorifying God. Um, so, you know, many of you know, if you've been around Coa for a while, that um, it was actually 11 years ago, um, 
about the middle of last month that I had a uh, cardiac arrest uh, in my sleep and um, ended up uh, in a medical coma for two and a half days, ended up in a hospital for seven more days. They ran countless tests. Um, just if you don't know the story, I came out okay. I came out all right. Uh, by God's grace, they never actually found out why it happened. But, um, you know, near as I was getting ready to leave, they um, installed a defibrillator into my chest. So I'm a cyborg now is what I tell people. Um, but I, I, you know, that's not, that's not cheap, but my medical bill ended up coming in over half a million dollars and I had insurance. Thank God I had insurance, but even with insurance, I think we had more than $10,000 and I had just moved my family less than a year before had resigned my church, had packed up my family, moved to Boston, become a self-supported fundraiser. And, and all of a sudden was actually in the process of raising funds, developing new partnerships as I had my cardiac arrest. So you can imagine, like, we just didn't have that kind of money. We didn't have anywhere near that kind of money in our savings. And we were like, okay, well, we're just going to have to figure this out. But you know what God did? God laid it on people's hearts around us. And let me, let me say this. We never paid a medical bill. We never paid a medical bill. And you know what's so amazing about it is I don't know who gave Specifically, I know, I know some groups, I know some things, but I don't know individuals who gave. And I got to experience the generosity of people um, in such a way that I could only glorify God for it. I couldn't go after the individual and say, hey, I know you gave, thank you so much. So what did that do? That, that bent my heart toward God even more. So I wanna say this, your generosity, when you're giving and you give in a way that blesses someone and they don't even know where is their praise naturally going to go? It's going to go to God. And you never know how that blessing of your generosity will steer someone's heart into the arms of Christ. So I want to encourage you towards embracing generosity. A few questions, and I'm going to close. Number one, for yourself, ask yourself, do I find myself easily generous? Or is it harder than spending money on what I want? Mm, that's a hard one. Are my priorities with money, paying off debt, saving, buying a home, taking a trip, purchasing an item, primarily shaped by God or by my hopes and desires? And thirdly, if I, one, inherited a large sum of money today, how quickly would I think about how that money could be given to needs? That, that reveals something. How quickly would you say, man, I could give I could give half that away or I could give all of it away or I could give 25% of it away or whatever, but that you would, you would go there quickly. So I'm gonna close and, and as we close, I wanna challenge you. Maybe you need help. Maybe you are in a financial position where you can't actually um, think about giving because you're so jacked up financially. Listen, we have people in the church, no judgment. I think, I know we, my wife and I have been and other people I know, many people I know, have been in that state before at some point in their lives. And so no judgment, but we want to walk alongside you. There are people who will sit down and help you to plan a budget and work through that so that you could get control of your finances. Uh, maybe today it's not about being generous. Uh, you've lost your job or you're in financial bind right now and you're worried about like paying your rent next month or where your food's going to come from. And listen. We as a church um, want to be generous. We want to step in. We have stepped into needs since COVID hit, and we want to step into other needs. We just found out about it, uh, some needs in our a partnership we're developing in Nepal with church planters there um, and, and some of the problems they're facing while, while COVID's hit. 
Um, and we're thinking about how we can step into that. That's one of the reasons that we take an offering as a church. It's not so that somehow we can build a huge building. I don't think we'll ever be able to build a building in Brookline, right? So that's not going to happen. But, but we want to be generous. We want to step in in needs. And when we have those resources, we can more quickly step in to those needs. So if we can help you, get on coabrookline.org slash connect and just fill out that form there. If we can support you, if we can help you develop a budget, uh, I'm going to pray, and then uh, Matt's going to come lead us in, in our, our response. Jesus, we're grateful that you are generous. That though you were in heaven with, with glory, infinite glory with the Father, you humbled yourself, took on the form of a man, lived among us a perfect life, experienced life as we know it, the temptations we experienced, then died on the cross and rose from the grave to give us eternal life. We thank you that you, though you were rich, were made poor for us. I pray that that heart of generosity might resonate with each of us. May you make us more generous individually. May you make us more generous collectively. For your glory, for our joy, we pray.